All right, Genesis chapter number 21. Now tonight we're going to be in this chapter studying the faith of Abraham. But this morning I want to look at a different character in the 21st chapter of Genesis. Beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Let me pause there and just say when God says he's going to do something, he does it. Amen. And that's the emphasis of those two verses. God did what he said, how he said, when he said he was going to do it. And I'm thankful that he promised he's coming back, aren't you? And he said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. And I believe that. I don't believe we can try to set a date. I believe it would be all to naught. And history has proven that to be so. But I believe that one of these days, the father's going to look towards his son and say, son, now's the time. You've waited long enough. They've waited long enough. And now's the time to go get your bride. And I'd just like to say I'm looking forward to that day. That's not the sermon, but it needed to be said. Amen. All right. In verse number 3, And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was an hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now notice this, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, ladies, you need to remember that verse so you can bring that out on your husband sometime when you're telling him what to do. You can tell him it's scriptural. Amen. All right, but it says in verse 14, And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder. And the child went and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. Verse 17, notice this, And God heard the voice of the lad. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee? Hagar, fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. I want to read that again. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need your help this morning. That's about as plain as I know how to put it, Lord. I'm incapable and unable. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to hold me up and give me the unction and the power that's needed. Lord, I want to thank you that your Holy Spirit indwells me. 
But Lord, I need Him to empower me this morning. And I need, Father, for You to make the Word of God effectual in the hearts of Your people. Lord, help me to not say anything You wouldn't have me to say. Help me to not refrain from saying that which is needful. Lord, I pray it be done in such a way that give You glory. Lord, I don't know what each heart's need is. There may be some here that are lost and undone without Christ. They have religion but no relationship with You. I pray, Lord, that You'd convict them of their lost state. Show them their need of Calvary, Lord. And I pray that they'd accept Your Son as their Savior. There may be some here struggling, weighted down under heavy burdens, Lord. And You commanded us to cast all our care upon You. So, Lord, help us through the Word of God to do so. But, Lord, whatever the need is in each heart, I pray that You'd meet it. Help us to be receptive and submissive. And, Lord, I pray that after You've met with us and after You've spoken to us, that we'd be obedient. And when we would be able to leave, Lord, we would say that it's been good to meet with You and to be in Your house and that we're walking closer to You as a result of it. Lord, I love You because of Calvary. I love You because You first loved me. And I ask all of this in the precious name of Christ my Savior. Amen. In Genesis 21, there's a lot going on. I'm going to be honest with you. In fact, as you read this passage, you'll find basically three different narratives taking place here. But this morning, I want to focus on this little Egyptian handmaid named Hagar. A woman of insignificance and a woman of struggles. And I want to hone in on this question that God asked her because I'm greatly interested in this question as it pertains to your life and to mine this morning. The Bible tells us the story that uh, Ishmael would have been about 13 years old at this time. That was the son of Abraham by Hagar the handmaid. And uh, Isaac had been born according to the promise of the Word of God. And on the day that Isaac was weaned, the Bible tells us that Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. Now, I'd just pause for a moment and say there's great prophetic significance and dispensational significance to this story. And we'll talk about it some tonight. But the short of it is this. Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac. And she doesn't like it. You know, she's a mama. And Ishmael's not her boy, but Isaac is. And so she goes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you need to cast this bondwoman out. Cast her son out. I'm not going to have them being heir with my son Isaac. So Abraham is greatly grieved by this. But Abraham listens to the voice of God. And God does tell Abraham that he needs to hearken to the voice of Sarah. And so Abraham takes Hagar takes Ishmael, takes a portion of bread and takes a bottle of water, leads them out into the wilderness and leaves them there to die. Hagar realizes that things are not looking good. The bottle is spent and the bread is eaten. She's about to thirst to death and so is her child. So Hagar takes her child and goes and the Bible says, casts him under a shrub. You may say, well, that doesn't seem very sweet and very nice and very motherly. She was putting him under the shrub to keep the desert sun from killing him sooner than he would have died. And she turns around and she walks off a good ways off. That's, that's good Bible terminology. You know that? That's not hillbilly. That's Bible term. A good ways off. You say, how far is a good ways off? About a bow shot. Amen. About a bow shot. Don't tell me God's not a redneck. Amen. Whenever he wants to get the point across, he talks about bow hunting. All right. 
But uh, God, uh, Abraham, <laughs> I'm getting all mixed up now. Hagar sets him and goes about a bow shot off. And the Bible says that she sat over against him. We're going to talk about it in a moment. But essentially, she was in his sight, but he wasn't in her sight. Because she says, let me not see the death of this child. So she sits down and she begins to weep and she begins to pray and she begins to cry. And the Bible says that God hears and God answers. And God begins by asking this question. He says, what aileth thee, Hagar? In other words, Hagar, you've got a problem. What's your problem? Tell me what it is that is grieving you. I don't mean to be presumptuous this morning. But in a room this size, we've probably got a few people that have problems this morning, you know it. In fact, I'd say everybody in this room has a problem to some degree or another. You may have a big problem. You may have a small problem. You may have a physical problem. You may have a financial problem. Hey, if you're here and you're lost today, you've got a big problem and it's a spiritual problem. I don't know what your problem is. As a pastor, life is filled with problems. Maybe not personal problems, but you share in the problems of others. And I see problems all the time that are too big for me to fix. Too big for you to fix. But can I tell you something today? Can I tell you that whatever ails you, there's a God in heaven that's big enough to fix your problem. You say, preacher, that's health and wealth. That's name it and claim. No, that's scripture. The Bible says that he's a present help in a time of need. You see, Hagar had a problem that she couldn't solve. It was too big for her. It was insurmountable. She couldn't face this difficulty. But there was a God in heaven that heard and answered her cry. I'd like you to keep that in mind this morning. What aileth thee? And whatever your problem is, I'd like to ask you this. Could it in some way tie in to what happened in the life of Hagar? The first picture we see here, and I'm just going to be quick this morning. Somebody say amen right there. Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm just going to be quick this morning. And I just want us to look at three things in this passage. Bear with me and I'll try to be fast. When we open this passage, we open it with a weeping of grief. Hagar is crying out to the Lord. But what was it that was so great about her problem? You see, if we trace the story of this young lady, Hagar, backwards, we find that she is an Egyptian. Whenever Abraham had gone down and sojourned in the land of Egypt, when he came up out, he took with him a little handmaid named Hagar. I don't know if she's happy about that. I don't know if she's upset about that. But in that time, she didn't have much authority or say in it one way or another. And so Hagar leaves her family. She leaves her friends, if she had any. And she travels into a place. And she might have looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, where are we going? He said, I don't know. said, Abraham, who are we following? He said, I don't know. And I'm sure things look pretty dismal. I'm sure she spent a lot of tear-filled nights. So she travels along with Abraham. And for several years, ten years in fact to be exact, she's with Abraham. She's serving the family and she's ministering to them. She probably had a fairly good relationship with Sarah, her, uh, her mistress. She was the handmaid of Sarah. And one day, Sarah and Abraham come to Hagar. And they say, Hagar, we need your help with something. You see, God has promised that our seed would inherit a great land. But I'm an old woman, Hagar, and I can't bear Abraham any children. And so, Hagar, it's your responsibility. We're going to arrange a wedding. You're going to become the wife of Abraham, the concubine of Abraham, and you're going to bear a child for us. 
I don't know how Hagar felt about that. She might have appreciated the attention. She might have saw it as an opportunity to come into greater graces with her master. But either way, she had no say in it. And so Hagar goes in unto Abraham and she's with child and she bears this child. The Bible says that she began to despise Sarah. I don't know if it was the crushing responsibility of pregnancy. I don't know if it was the crushing responsibility of watching another woman raise her child. But whatever it was, she began to hate Sarah. And so as she's hating Sarah, the Bible says that Sarah began to deal harshly and hardly with Hagar. Hagar, the Bible says, fled from her face and went down by the wilderness of shore. You say, why did she go to the wilderness of shore? She was headed back to Egypt. You see, the first time that she left Abraham's tent, she was running away and she was trying to get back to Egypt as quick as she could. Let me tell you something. When God begins to convict the sinner, you know what he does? He heads for Egypt quick as he can. He tries to get back in the world where things are comfortable. He tries to get back into sin where it affirms his fleshly desires. He tries to do everything he can to get out of the way and to get back to Egypt. The problem was the the word sure has a lot of different connotations, but one of them is this connotation. It means that which beholds. You see, whenever she left, she thought she's all alone. But there was a God in heaven that was watching her. And she fled away, and the Bible says that she found herself by a fountain in the wilderness. And she heard a voice say unto her, Hagar, whither comest thou, and whither goest thou? Let me tell you what God asks the sinner when he convicts him. He asks him these two questions. Where are you coming from? Where are you headed to? You say, preacher, what do you mean? When the sinner begins to be convicted, by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, it makes him take inventory of where he's been in life. Let me ask you something. When you was under conviction, I bet you was thinking about all them sleepless nights that you had spent at one time. When you was under conviction, I bet you started to think about all them wasted years. Whenever you were under conviction, I bet you began to think about all the sins you had committed and all the wrong you had done and how worthless it had been. I bet you got to thinking about where you was coming from. But, you know, that's not good enough. That's good enough to get a man into despair. But that's not good enough to get a man out. What else did he ask? He said, where are you going? Let me tell you when the sinner really gets hemmed in, when he realizes that there's no place to go but Calvary for help. That's when the sinner gets saved, when he realizes that not only is he coming from a bad place, but he's headed towards one too. Where are you coming from, Hagar? Where are you going to? You see, the past was irrelevant. The future didn't matter. But there was a God in heaven that saw her right where she was. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and lost and undone without Christ, you say, preacher, what does that mean to be lost if you don't know you are? Amen? Is that right? Somebody check my theology. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's a God in heaven that sees you and sees the way you're going. Let me tell you something. He cares about you. He loves you. You know what she said? God spoke to her and she found that fountain there by the wilderness and she named it. The Bible says it changed from a fountain to a well. You say, how do you know that she got saved? When a person gets saved, the fountain turns into a well. (laughs) John chapter number 4, the Bible says that, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God is a fountain of living waters. And if you drink of this water, you shall never thirst again. But it shall be in you a well, a fountain of living waters, a well of living waters. When a man gets saved... That heavenly supply, there's an inward reservoir of it. 
Not a lost man, by the way. None of this eternal light glowing within mankind. No. But when a man gets born again, the Spirit of God lives within him. He becomes a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And so, you know what she named that well? Now, this is big and complicated. It's going to take me probably four or five times to pronounce it right. You ready? I mean, I'm just hillbilly, okay? Uh, let's see. Beer lehoi That's what it, that's actually, if you, if you've got the little marks in your Bible, that's how it's supposed to be said. But you know what it means? It means the well of him that looketh after me. She found out that day there was somebody cared about her. She found out that day, uh, though she had been driven from the face of her mistress, she found out that day, though she didn't have kith or kin anywhere to be found, she found out that though there wasn't a soul that cared about her, that there was a God in heaven that knew where she was, that knew what she was, and that loved her anyway. And she said, have I here looked after him that seest me? That was the first well experience that took place in Hagar's life. The Lord said, return unto your mistress and submit unto her. And you know what? Hagar did that. That's a proof of her salvation, by the way, is obedience. Now, you say, preacher, you tell me a saved person's never going to sin? No, I've been around too many Baptists to believe that. But I'm telling you this, it puts an attitude of obedience in the heart of the believer. Uh, you won't always do what's right, but you'll know it when you haven't. Amen? And so she went back and submitted to Sarah, her mistress. And uh, several long years passed, and Ishmael is growing older. And the account takes place that we've spoken of. But there's a difference here. When she left the first time, she was traveling to Egypt through shore. But when she leaves the second time, the Bible says she's wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba. wonder what she was wandering for. I want you to notice three things. I want to say, first off, that her situation was desperate. She had lost everyone that she ever had. The only thing she had left was her son Ishmael, and that son had to look to her for sustenance. Chances were she was going to die out in that wilderness. She had no one she could turn to. She had no one. Listen to me now. She had no one that understood. I'm just going to be honest with you, church. You ever been in a situation where you just couldn't find any help? I mean, we're, we're real here at Wall Ridge. I mean, we ain't, I, I wish, you know, it'd be nice if I was a plastic pastor and I pastored them churches full of plastic people, didn't ever have no problems. But let's just be real honest today. You ever been in a situation where you knew you was in bad shape, but you just couldn't get help? You wonder why she went to Beersheba. The word Beersheba means a place of seven wells. Some people believe it means the well of a sevenfold oath. And, of course, later on in this passage, Abraham is going to make an oath with seven lambs to prove that he had digged that well at Beersheba. Uh, but you'll find if you study the location of Beersheba that it was a place of many wells. wonder why she is wandering. She is looking for a well. She's trying to find help. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you've ever been here, but I have. You ever been in a situation where you knew there was help to be found, but you couldn't find it? You ever been in a situation where everybody around you pointed you towards a different well, but the second you tried to go towards it, you couldn't find it? Let me ask you this. You ever been in a dire situation somebody said, well, just pray about it? You prayed about it and it didn't help. I've been there now. Don't get quiet on me. I've been there. Somebody say, well, you just need to read your Bible. And you read your Bible, but it didn't seem to help your situation. Somebody say, you need to go to church and get under the preaching of the Word of God. And you found yourself in God's house. You heard a message preached, but you couldn't get the help that you needed. I mean, listen, I know I've been pastoring three years this August, but I was a church member for 22 years before that, or at least I attended church 22 years before that. 
And let me tell you something. I've sat in messages where, where a good sermon was preached and where other people got help, but it just seemed like I couldn't get no help for my situation. Wells everywhere! But I couldn't find a one that could satisfy me. Here's a well, there's a well. The well of prayer, the well of Bible reading, all these wells everywhere. In a place full of wells, in a wilderness of wells. Couldn't find what she needed. Her situation was desperate, but notice number two, that her supply had been depleted. The Bible tells us that Abraham gave her a bottle, slung it over her shoulder, and she took it with her. But it wasn't long before that bottle ran out. Let me tell you something. The help you can get from another person is good, but understand it's temporary. Let me tell you something about your walk with the Lord, okay? The stuff you get from this pulpit, I hope it's good. I hope it helps you. But it's going to take more than what you get from that pulpit if you're going to walk with Christ. It's good when people give you something in a bottle. That's good. But eventually that bottle's going to run out. You've got to have a well somewhere. You've got to have a place where you can refill it. Her supply had been deleted. She felt drained, didn't she? You ever felt drained? You ever felt, now listen to me. You ever felt like you poured every drop out and there's nothing left to do? You ever been in a situation so desperate that you gave every bit of yourself to it? And still it wasn't solved. Her supply was depleted. But let me say thirdly, her survival was doubtful. If she'd stayed in that wilderness in the shape she was in, She's going to die. There was no question about it. She couldn't live. In fact, she had taken Ishmael, set him under that shrub for the express purpose that he could die and she wouldn't have to see it. She was waiting to die. Let me tell you, there's some things in our spiritual walk. If they're not addressed, they'll bury us. Do you hear me? There's certain things in our spiritual walk that if it's never addressed, let me tell you something, doubt in your salvation. Now you say, preacher, Have you ever doubted your salvation? You better believe it. But if that's not dealt with, it can bury you. Preacher, what do you mean by bury me? I mean get you so discouraged that you give up on church, give up on God, give up on prayer. I've seen it happen. Sin left in our lives. Oh, now. Sin that is not addressed, that's left in our lives. It's not dealt with. It'll bury us eventually. You know what happens? We become callous to the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. And we get to the point where we live in mediocrity and we become miserable. If she didn't get help, she was going to die. You may be here today. And if you don't get help from the Lord, it's not going to be long. You're getting ready to throw in the towel as it is. Listen, there's been people in... Uh, when you're a pastor, you know people in a different way than other people know. There's been people before, I could see it. I could see a change in their attitude. I could see a change in their demeanor. And if they didn't get help soon... It was going to be the last time they ever walked through those double doors or any double doors. I mean, if they didn't get close to God, if God didn't get a hold of them, if they didn't get that bottle filled back up some way, somehow, they was gone. Their survival was doubtful. We find her in a weeping grief. But in the midst of her grief, we find there's a word from God in heaven. God speaks to her. It's interesting to note, the Bible says she lifted up her voice and wept. I suppose she was praying. I do not know, but we're going to find out that it wasn't her prayer that God answered. We see that she was weeping and crying out to God, and God speaks, and He says, What aileth thee, Hagar? I'm always interested by divine questions. 
Because divine questions are not asked for the same reason that you and I ask questions. You see, if I know everything, I have no reason to ask a question. Let me tell you something about prayer. Are you ready? We don't pray to tell God about our problems. God already knows about our problems. You say, preacher, are you saying I shouldn't tell God about my problem? No, that's not what I'm saying. The psalmist said, I'll pour out my complaint unto the Lord. What I'm saying is this. Prayer. Don't mark me a Calvinist neither now. Prayer does a lot more to change us than it does change God. You say, are you telling me God doesn't hear and answer prayer? Sure He does. And prayer is the means of God's sovereignty. God hears and answers our prayers. You say, are you telling me that my prayers don't change nothing? No, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. All I'm saying is this. God already knows about your problem. But He speaks to her and He says this. By the way, I'm going to preach on that again here in just a second. He says, Hagar. He speaks personally. Personally, you hear me? Personally to her. He speaks of her personally. There was no reason to believe that this pagan, you hear me? Pagan, out of Egypt, pagan, pagan, insignificant, broke, despondent, little bondmaid Hagar would ever command the attention of the God of heaven. I don't know. Uh, Ivor Powell said this may have been the first example that God can love the whole world in all of Scripture. There was no reason to believe that God would know her name. You know why God knew her name? He had spoken to her at a well before. You see, it wasn't that Hagar was acting so good. That wasn't why God spoke to her. It wasn't that Hagar was so invaluable to the redemptive plan of God. In fact, we'll find out, even though God's going to make a mighty nation out of Ishmael, we'll find out that the Arabs, that's the descendants... Now, don't, don't mark me now. The Arabs, the descendants of Ishmael, have always been contentious with the children of Israel. In fact, Ishmael was a result of Abraham's sin. Hagar probably should have been nothing more than just a blip on the redemptive radar. Now, I understand God's sovereign. I understand it all works in accordance with His divine plan of redemption. But what I'm saying is this. God wasn't speaking her name because she was so important. That's not why God was speaking her name. God was speaking her name because she had listened to Him at a well a long time earlier. Let me tell you the only reason that we command God's attention. It's because of who we are in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. You say, I pay my tithes. God bless you. We need it. But that's not why God hears your prayers. You say, I've got my name on the roll of Wall Ridge Baptist Church. God bless you. That's wonderful. But that's not why God hears your prayers. The only reason God hears your prayers is because one day by a fountain you met Him and let Him turn you into a well. That's the only reason God hears your prayers. The only reason that God hears your prayers is if you've been washed in the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. You see, the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, maketh intercession for us. He spoke of her personally, but notice that He spoke of her peace. said, fear not. That must have sounded pretty hollow to her. Can I tell you that sometimes, it's going to upset some of you, but sometimes the Word of God seems a little hollow when you're in the midst of trials. I mean, hey, am am I lying? Sometimes the Word of God just seems a little hollow. You say, preacher, are you saying there's a problem with the Word of God? No, there's not a single problem with it. I'm not like a lot of these heretics. I still believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, perfect, inspired, infallible, preserved. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I sure do. I'm not saying there's a problem with the Word of God. There's a problem with us. But sometimes in the midst of our trials, 
what the Word of God says does seem a little hollow. You're hurting, and you read that we're to cast all our care upon Him. You're hurting, and we read that we're to come unto Him all you that labor and are heavy laden. And sometimes it just seems a little, a little hollow. But let me tell you something. No matter what you think about the Word of God, it's still true. When God says fear not, and by the way, God time and 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 time again said that when He came, when believers came into His presence. You know why? Because the natural response ought to be fear in the presence of God. But He wasn't commanding her to not fear because of His presence, but because of her problem. Just fear not. And and I know us preachers, we get up and we preach, and buddy, we hammer it away. I know. You ever wonder why a preacher does that right there? You ever wonder that? Because I always say if you point at someone, you've got three fingers pointing back at you. So that's why preachers preach like that. That way they ain't incriminating themselves. Amen? I know sometimes preachers get up and preach. And sometimes it's difficult to understand the reality of what's being said. And a preacher gets up and says, God can fix your problems. And your flesh says, no, he can't. And you get up and God, uh, the preacher says, God is able to help you and give you peace and speak peace to your soul. And your problem says, he can't solve me, I'm too big. But he spoke peace to her nonetheless. Let me tell you something, when we've messed up and when we're discouraged, I think a lot of times we don't go to God. And by the way, discouragement. Discouragement is a natural process of the flesh. Do you hear me? It is a natural process of the flesh. The flesh, when it is faced with difficulties, does not lift itself up by its own bootstraps. The flesh, when faced with difficulty, tends towards discouragement. And I understand that staying in a state of discouragement is something that can be considered sin. I understand that. It's not a sin to be discouraged, but it can be a sin to stay discouraged, to wallow in it. I understand that. But I hear about an old sawbone prophet of God named Elijah. He got pretty discouraged himself. He took his eyes off the Lord and he saw what Jezebel had said, that she would take his life. And he goes away into the wilderness a few days' journey and then he leaves his, his uh, companion there and his servant. He goes farther into the wilderness. The Bible says he sits under a juniper tree and he asks the Lord if he can die. He says, I'm not better than my father's. Lord, why don't you just let me die here? He falls asleep. The Bible says that an angel from the Lord came, nudged him. And the angel didn't talk about his problem. The angel said, get up. The journey is too great for thee. The angel gives him food and nourishment. The angel gives him a word of encouragement. And let me tell you something. When you know in your life, a lot of Christians, let me tell you something, a lot of Christians bury other Christians. You know how? When they're discouraged, they come in and try to be a theologian on them. You better be careful about that. And you better be careful about judging a person when they're discouraged too. What does the Bible say? Brethren, if a man be overtaken with a fault, ye which are spiritual. Now, carnal people won't do this. You hear me? Carnal people won't restore a person. Carnal people will kick them while they're down, use them as a stepping stone to lift up their own ego. But ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. But by the grace of God go I. And whenever you're discouraged, whenever people around you are discouraged, the last thing they need is for you to beat them over the head. The last thing they need is for you to come in and tell them how you're such a great Christian, you don't ever get discouraged because you're a walk with God. That's not what people need when they're discouraged. What the Lord give them? Fear not, Hagar. Fear not. 
He spoke peace to her soul, gave a word of encouragement, and let her understand that no matter how bad it is around her, there's a God in heaven that hears, that sees, and it is going to get better. He speaks of her personally. He speaks of her peaceably. But I want you to notice this. He speaks of her problem. What does he say? He said, I have heard the voice of the lad where he is. It does not say that he heard Hagar, but it says that he heard the lad. Now you say, preacher, I don't get that. I don't understand it. Why is it that it says that? Let me tell you why. Before Hagar ever prayed about it, the Lord had already heard her problem. Let me tell you something. When you're going through trials, the Lord knows about problems you don't even know about yet. You hear me? The Lord knows about problems you're going to go through that you don't even know about. And the design and purpose of prayer is not to notify God of the problems. It's to notify us of His power. And to make us aware that He's present and that He hears. He hadn't heard her. And you say, preacher, are you tell me he didn't hear Hagar's prayer? No, I believe he heard it. I believe what God is saying is not, I have heard the lad and not you. I think he's saying, I heard the lad before I heard you. I knew about your problem before you knew about your problem. I knew about your problem before you ever came to me. And you say, preacher, what does that mean to my life? It means this. It means that God's already working and solving problems that we've not even faced. It means that God knows what you're going through when you don't even understand it. It means that God knows how it feels when you can't even make sense out of how it feels. Somebody help me this morning. Am I being truthful? God in heaven knows how you feel. You say, preacher, nobody knows how I feel. God knows how you feel. He was tempted in all points like as we are. He's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I don't care what you're going through. I don't understand it. Your friends may not understand it. Your family may not understand it. But your Savior knows what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. He's heard your problem before you've even brought it to Him. You say, should I just not bring it to Him? No, bring it to Him. He commanded you to bring it to Him. You say, or is God not going to fit? Can't. Let me phrase this way. You say, can God not fix my problem if I don't bring it to Him? God can fix your problem. But when you pray, if God fixes your problems without you praying, you know what we do? Just go on by. Never give a word, never give a thought. Things just work themselves out. But if God brings you to your knees in prayer and supplication, you cry out to God. You say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to fix this. God in heaven hears and answers that prayer. You know what you do then? You go along and you say, you won't believe what God did for me. You won't believe what God did for me. I was in need. I was hurting. I was in pain. And I couldn't help myself. But God answered my prayer. If we don't pray, we don't praise. You wonder why some people have trouble praising God? It's because they don't pray. They're, they're never given opportunities to see God's goodness in their life. And if they don't pray, they're probably too blind to look around and see what God is doing for them. We see a word from God. And I told you I was going to be fast. I lied. <laughs> but let me give you one last thing. We see the weeping of grief. We see a word from God. Oh, but I'm so thankful we see a well of grace that is brought into her awareness. Whenever God has spoken these things to her, He gives her this command. He says, Arise, 
Take up the lad. Take the lad in thine hand. Lift him up. What's the significance, preacher? We see that her pity is challenged. There's a time for everything. Season for all things. But there's also a time. Listen, there's a time to grieve. You understand me? There's a time. Worst thing you can ever do is stand beside the casket of someone and tell their loved one, it's going to be okay. They don't feel like that. They don't feel like that. They feel like their world has come crashing in. You let them grieve. You let them grieve. Grief is not a bad thing. But there was a time in Hagar's life. She had wept. She had cried. She had heard from God. Do you hear me? She had heard from God. And by the way, after you hear from God, that's time to respond. Do you hear me? That's time to respond. When God's spoken to your heart about something, that's not time to not do it anymore. That's time to repent of it and confess it to Him and ask His forgiveness and then not do it anymore. You know what we're all bad of doing? We're all bad about going, Lord, please speak to my heart. Please speak to my heart. Lord, in the preaching, speak to my heart. I need to hear from you. And before long, you can see it. People start squirming. Ooh, ow. Mm. Don't speak to me about that. <laughs> and then invitation time comes around. You know what you do? You start your bargaining process with God. Lord, don't make me go down to that altar. I just... Lord, I won't do it again. I can get right here. I, listen, if you're trying to talk yourself into staying in your seat during the altar call, this altar is where you need to be. If you're trying to talk yourself in, Lord, no, Lord, I can get right here. There's something to be said for arising and taking the lad in your hand, lifting it up. Her pity was challenged. Hagar, rise up, get off your feet. Whatever problem you're facing, it may be a stumbling block, but don't let it be a tombstone. Whatever you're going through may be difficult, may be more difficult than this preacher's ever faced, but there's a time to arise up. When God's spoken to your heart, when God's given you the strength, that's time to get up, challenge your pity, don't wallow in it. We see not only was her pity challenged, I like this, but her perception was changed. God did not miraculously make a well there. Read it in the text. God didn't make a well there. The place was full of wells. And let me tell you something. You know what you'll find sometimes? You'll find that those very wells that people advised you to visit, just pray about it. A lot of times that is the well you need to be at. But until you've heard from God, you just can't see it. A lot of times that well of studying your Bible, reading your Bible, oh, what would we do without the Word of God? Aren't you thankful we have a Bible? But a lot of times if you don't hear from the voice of God... The book's a closed book to you. God didn't create a new well. God just opened her eyes so she could see the one that was there. What you need is not the next new greatest and latest thing. A lot of people in this world, they're trying to get all their happiness from a pill or a psychologist. You say, preacher, are you against that? No. Half the people I know need to be on more medication. Amen. There's times when counseling is appropriate and... Now, there's times when that kind of help is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's necessary. But let me tell you, all the help in the world that you can get from outside, all the bottles of water that people can give you from outside, that ain't going to make up for a lack of a well in your life. And the lost man can get all the quote-unquote help he needs. What he needs is Calvary. And the saved man, he can get all the advice that he needs. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with advice. But what you really need is you need a word from the Lord. You need to get alone with God and speak to Him and hear from Him. 
we see that her perception was changed. Her eyes were open. But we see finally that her problem was championed. She got the help. But listen, she utilized the help. Breaks my heart to hear so many people suffering from cancer. Ralph, I knew we shouldn't let you around everyone. You're spreading it. Contagious. Carrier, that's right. Seems like every day, don't it? I'm just talking to you. Don't get nervous. Doesn't seem like every day you're hearing about somebody. We heard about someone in Sunday school this morning diagnosed with cancer. Seems like every single day, every single day, we're hearing about people with cancer. I don't know what's to blame for it. We'll get to heaven one of these days and not even care enough to find out. Amen. But they do have treatment. They'll give you that chemo. And it's good. You have to go to a doctor and get diagnosed. They don't just sell that at Walgreens. But you know what? You can get all the diagnosis you want. But if you won't take the medicine, it don't help you a bit. The solution is not in being diagnosed. The solution is taking the medicine that was prescribed. Do you hear me? Let me turn this around and look at Hagar. She could see the well. She had a choice to make. She could either sit where she is at and complain about the drought. Or she could get up, go to the well, fill her water back up. Let me tell you something. Some of you got help this morning. The Lord spoke to your heart. It's not done yet. It's not done until you come down. Fill your bottle back up. Say, preacher, do I have to be at that altar? If you're asking that, then you do. <laughs> Listen, don't come all this way. Don't weep and cry. Hear the voice of God. Find the well. And then turn around and walk back out into the wilderness. She went and filled her bottle up. You know what she did? She addressed her problem. She went back to the lad, gave the lad to drink. Lord speaks to us for a reason, church. If it's important enough to hear from heaven, it's important enough for heaven to hear from you. This morning, if God's spoken to your heart, don't leave this place. Come down fill your bottle up. Speak to the Lord. Get the help that you need.